You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Everybody and welcome to episode 91 of 2, 5, and 10, the Steven Stamkos episode. Benny, what up? Stealing my thunder with the uh, Jersey Association, but doing good. Post-Christmas, last episode of 2020, thankfully, this year has been unusually brutal. Um, so glad to turn a corner on that one. And since, you know, we've been talking about it a few weeks, once the NHL and the NHLPA came to an agreement, there is going to be... Some moves going down, and we got some moves going down the last seven to ten days. I think uh, I could be Case Stradamus this year. I mean, I didn't predict who was going where or any of that, but I said there was going to be movement, pal. Yeah, and you were right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. A, a lot of teams are strapped to the cap, and some teams finding unique ways to uh, get around it in a sense. But uh, before we go there, a couple of things we have to get to. Uh One of them being a very tough break, no pun intended. Kirby Doc at the World Juniors playing for Team Canada, the captain of Team Canada, and in the exhibition game against Russia, goes for an open ice hit in the neutral zone, kind of puts his arm out a little bit to get a piece of him, and boom, no question, that wrist is broken, tournament over, and probably season over for the Blackhawks. What do you think, Benny? Yeah, so they announced it today, he's out four to five months it's not just going to be a wrist fracture or wrist break that was going to heal on its own so he has to have surgery on it unfortunately that eliminates him for the year and basically eliminates a year of development and also a year of planning that the blackhawks organization can use to see just what they have in this kid i know he's young he's not even what 20 no, and not even 20. Yeah. They're looking at him as, is he a number one? Is he a franchise guy? Is he more of a sidekick? And then they would act accordingly, and that's all out the window now. I, I got a question for you because this happens every year with NHL GMs and Team Canada, like as specific to Hockey Canada, where they will always contact, they always want to win the World Juniors. And they'll always contact GMs on availability of the under 20s. Did the Blackhawks make a mistake? And obviously with the injury, everyone can say, yes, they made a mistake. But did they make a mistake if this kid comes out of this unscathed, sending him to the World Juniors? Because before, like, he would have just played a whole bunch of hockey right before training camp. And I think that would have been a great warm-up for him. I think he would have ripped up the World Juniors. But now it's a whole nother situation. But... The Rangers did not make Lafreniere available. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is what more did Kirby Doc have to prove at the World Juniors? Because Alexis Lafreniere did not have to prove anything more. And that's probably why the Rangers said, we don't need him to go there. There's nothing for him to prove there. We need him to be an NHL player, not an under-20 Team Canada player. Yeah, and that's just something where you push your luck in situations like this. You see it in 
other sports too, like Major League Baseball teams. The Yankees don't let a lot of their guys play in uh, World Baseball Classic just because they're trying to save uh, their their arms or their pitcher, things like that. I It's one thing if this is a prospect who isn't expected or isn't slotted in to definitely be on a roster. He's not a franchise potential franchise-altering prospect. He's just a kid who's been playing well. He has a good good prospect stock, and this will help the team evaluate what they have. Chicago already knew what they have. They know that this kid is basically their future up front, hopefully. And to let him play, and especially an exhibition, like you can also monitor his minutes, and he can skip exhibition games too and just play uh, in the actual tournament itself. The fact that they just free reign and this happened, it's I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Like you have your evaluation. He played well for them in the uh, playing tournament over the summer for the Blackhawks. Like he slotted to play next to Patrick Kane this year. And now you're down a year of development and a year of evaluation. You're down Kirby Doc. And now you have who's centering Patrick Kane now? Soderberg? Oh, God, I hope that's not a good look for them if they have Carl Soderbergh centering him. So it's almost like the Rangers letting Shesterkin play in the World Junior Championships. And you have, like, Georgiev's a solid goaltender, but Igor is the future of your franchise and goal. Like, he could, has the potential to be a top 5 to 10 goaltender. What does he have to prove to play in the World Junior Championships? Obviously, he's older, he's not eligible. I'm just using a, a hypothetical here. And then if he gets hurt, let's say he tears an ACL, like what would be the point? So I don't understand a Blackhawks situation here. He doesn't need the time. He doesn't need the development. And they don't need to evaluate him in non-NHL competition anymore. Yeah, I agree with you on the non-NHL competition because, you know, it's not like he's an AHL guy and you're sending him away. It's This guy's a top six player in the NHL. Like, why is he there? And I, like I said, if all goes well here, this is a great warm-up for him going into training camp. But now it's like, woof. Mm-hmm. Like, like you already lost the year of development, like you said. But now it's like they had Dylan Strom still as a restricted free agent. They have to get him signed up. They have a whole bunch of things that they need to attend to now. And one other question would be this. Because, I mean, I'm sure this is going to pop up after. Now that Kirby Doc is out of that lineup, why on earth did they let the St. Louis Blues sign Mike Hoffman and they didn't go after him? Uh, I mean, I guess looking at it as it's not an even, I guess, quote-unquote trade because Hoffman doesn't play down the middle. But, yeah, you the forward depth overall is just much thinner now and there's less offensive production because you're looking at behind Jonathan Tage, you have Dylan Strom, Carl Soderberg, and Lucas Walmark. A little bit different than what they had going into the training camp they expect, that they expected. Yeah, uh, uh, not a good look on my eyes. Just ugly. So do you think, going back to that, this will make other teams reevaluate letting their prospects? And again, there's a distinction between being a prospect and being a young NHL player. And that's what Kirby Doc was, playing in tournaments like this. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't world championships at the end of a season where you don't make the playoffs or you're out in the first or second round. This is something where on most calendar years, this is during the season. So to take a guy off of your roster to send him there, a little crazy. I know some GMs have done it for guys that are slumping a little bit to kind of 
get their mojo back in a sense. But no, I do not think next year when the NHL is back to a normal schedule starting in October, when World Junior comes around, there will not be any NHL players on Team Canada's roster, which at the same point, I don't think there should be. Like, if you're already in the NHL, you do not need to be showcased at the World Juniors. You don't. But that's just me. Um, I know USA Hockey usually never has any NHLers in it, Mm -hmm. but that's that's just me because going into this just in general, uh, when Canada shit stomps Germany there the other day, Every one of Team Canada's forwards, with even with Kirby Doc out, was a first-round draft pick. <laughs> Why does an NHLer need to be there to prove himself? He doesn't. Doesn't. So th- th- that's my take on it. I'm sure it had something to do with Doc wanting to play because he's going to be the captain. Like It's a huge honor for a Canadian kid to captain a Team Canada in, at the World Junior Championship. I'm sure he probably lobbied the Blackhawks to let him go play. But at a certain point as an organization, you have the moral responsibility of making a decision for a guy because you know they're always going to want to play. They're always going to want to stay in. They're always going to say that, no, I'm good to go. I'm healthy. you got to make the decision for him. Otherwise, they're, you're always going to be beholden to the competitive nature of these guys. Yeah, like you said, hockey players want to play. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll <laughs> be there. So, yeah, I, I do hold the Blackhawks and what they have built, you know, previous to this current rebuild. I mean, I personally hold them to a higher standard and I hold Stan Bowman to a higher standard as to, you know, I, I don't want to say laying down the law cause it didn't have to be like a repercussion, but just kind of being like, you know, we kind of expect you in our lineup. I don't think that benefits you at all. That's all. Yeah. Um, so transitioning to guys who are currently healthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had a few free agency moves today. Corey Perry signed with the Montreal Canadiens, a cheap one-year deal, 750 k uh, The Predators made a few additional moves. They brought back Michael Granlund and also signed Eric Halla, which I think is a very underrated uh, signing on their part. And Mike Hoffman signs a PTO, uh, trout contract offer, with the St. Louis Blues. And that's just a cap circumvention because they need to wait till the end of training camp to put uh tarasenko on long-term injury reserve to clear his cap hit out and then they'll sign hoffman i'm sure they have a verbal agreement in place on a one-year deal so that's all the pto is i want to read too much into it apparently the nhl is okay with that um but the rich get richer with Hoffman going to the Blues. I was going to say, if St. Louis isn't your front runner right now for the Stanley Cup, uh, you, you got to reevaluate big time. Uh, I understand the the process of how you have to put guys on long term IR and so on and so forth. But like you said, if that's not circumventing the cap by just having them on a PTO as now your property, and then you can push the other things after, like the Devils got hit for having Ilya Kovalchuk's contract come down, like it went up and then it came down, like you know as the years came down, he got older, <laughs> and they got hit for that. Granted, was the drop off in that contract extreme towards the end? Yes, when a guy was making eleven million and then going to fucking minimum, it, it's a big hit, but. For Mike Hoffman to go to St. Louis, the other thing here is this. A, I think he's going to have a huge year. 
I, I legitimately think he's going to light it up, especially being in that lineup. So he's just lining himself up for a huge payday on the other end. And who knows, would, maybe he, he stays so. in St. Louis after this. Like, I, I honestly don't know what is in the cards for uh, Hoffman. But if you're just looking at what's coming off, for example, Tyler Bozak is in the last year of his contract making $5 million a year. Uh, Jaden Schwartz also one more year till he's UFA. I do think they'll try to re-sign Jaden Schwartz. But like, if they take those two guys off, that's almost ten and a half million off the books. They they can more than definitely re-sign Hoffman if that's something that they're interested in. So, I just think this is Doug Armstrong just completely doing the league dirty in the sense of just being smarter than everybody else. Like, I mean, you're able to pencil that in. Good for you, Army. No one else wants to give the guy a PTO and figure it out. Like, hats off to you for make, having the balls to make the call. So, congrats to the St. Louis Blues, the uh, 2021 Stanley Cup champions. <laughs> well, the thing with that is apparently Columbus and the Islanders were the other two teams heavily involved in contract talks with Hoffman, but they told his agent that they couldn't move forward with anything until they figured out. Uh, their cap situation after signing Dubois uh, Barzell. Mm-hmm. So with that added away, Hoffman's just kind of twisting in the wind here. And then St. Louis with the Steen retirement, which helps their cap situation. They're looking at the loss of Tarasenko, who there's a chance he comes back to the playoffs and then slides in on in that top six right side again. Um, and if that's the case, you're looking at Hoffman filling in. I mean, He's a terrible defensive player, and he's going to be helped playing in St. Louis with a lot of the forwards uh, that are strong defensively. But you're signing him for the power play. And the loss of Tarasenko, Tarasenko is very heavily mitigated by on a power play by the additional Hoffman. And then once Vlad comes back, you just slide Hoffman into the top six, top nine, and give him power play time. And I think that's a fantastic one-year deal. And... You would think he would be able to cash in next year, but everybody thought he would cash in this offseason too. And I don't know if the revenues are going to be bounced back up high enough uh, even after this season where the free agent market's going to heat up again. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think that's still the biggest question mark here as to what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. Where's COVID? Are people going to be in arenas? That That's dictating everything right now. So until we know where that stands, I don't think we know what officially happens with Mike Hoffman. But going the other way of what we talked about Nashville, I mean, they still have about $7.5 million in cap space even after signing Granlin and Halla. Like, yeah. I think they might not be done wailing and dealing yet. And I don't want to be predicting or starting rumors here, but I see they have one, two, three first-round picks, which means they would have another one in 2024. I don't think that first-round pick's gone. I wonder if they try to make a push for Barzell here. I think he's going to be more than seven and a half, but I just think that this is the first time in a while Dave Poyley is kind of feeling some heat in Nashville. Uh, They did not really play up to standards in that playing round against Arizona. I think that he may have to make a move to kind of save face. But at the same time, Dave Poiley's not afraid to make moves. He, he's made some huge trades. I mean, he acquired 
P.K. Subban for Weber. That No one saw that coming. He shipped P.K. back out. Um, <laughs> I just think one thing they're waiting on right now is they still have Luke Conan as a uh, RFA, so they got to figure out him. But to still have that much cap space, who knows what's up their sleeve or maybe there's something at the deadline that they're pushing for. Yeah, because with that cap space, if they keep that heading into the deadline, that basically doubles, and they're able to take on basically any player in a league. That, so they may use the first half of the season to evaluate, okay, we need to fill in this top six spot. Or to me, I think the real, because you look down the middle, Duchesne or Hanson, Hall or Richardson down the middle, yet outside of... Johansson, they're a little quote unquote long in a tooth, so they, they might look for an addition there. I think their top six is okay. Um, for me, it's in goal. I know they have Pekka still there and he signs for a big cap hit this year. I think they make a move, if they do make a move at all, it's going to be for help in goal because Rene's past the prime. Soros, I'm not a, a huge fan of. I think he's more of a journeyman backup goaltender who sometimes has like a career year like i feel like he's a like a peter morazic type and i don't think you ride a team like nashville with the cap hits and the talent level they have everywhere else in a roster you ride uc soros to the Stanley Cup final so looking around the league just off the top of my head you're looking at teams that are rebuilding that really need to tear it down you have a young kid who is signed relatively cheap in a situation where they're not going to be competitive until after he hits free agency, and there's no chance he stays there if he hits free agency. What about a move for Gibson? That's, I mean, Nashville also has the cupboard stocked a little bit. They got that Askarov as a uh, draft pick, so who knows? Maybe they send Askarov there to land Gibson. Yeah, so... They, can also, they still have tremendous depth on the back end as well, including prospects. They have those first-round picks. Like, just an idea that I have out there where they'll probably start the year as is, but if Rene and Saros stumble, they're going to be like, listen, if we solve the goaltending situation, we have a chance to compete with anybody in the West. And I still think that window is open for another year or two. Dude, their D right now, too, just their 7D that are on the roster, uh, reigning Norris Trophy winner, Roman Yossi, you have Ryan Ellis, Matias Ekholm, and then you have Dante Fabro as, like, up front the firepower. They brought in Borokop to kind of regulate everybody. They brought in Matthew Benning, who, to me, Matthew Benning, his years in Edmonton, I think he got overlooked by a lot of the other guys, but just, like, a solid, good young defenseman. You're not going to get anything crazy out of him point-wise, maybe 15 points a year can play his lane, play a system, and then they have the big monster Jared Tenorti if they need to insert him into the lineup. <laughs> like That is a core on the back end that could definitely do some damage. And, I mean, they say sometimes offense wins games, defense wins championships. Like That might be the way the defense looks of a Stanley Cup winning team right there. Yeah, so I think they're a team to watch out for as we get close to the deadline. Um, I do like the Corey Perry signing. I love that basically- signing. No risk, like almost league minimum. He's going to sit there on your third, fourth line. He's going to get in the face of every goaltender. You look at Montreal's forward group, and you have Corey Perry, Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson up front. And that's not going to be very much fun for uh, the goaltenders in the Canadian division this year. 
And also, just the the one weakness I think that Montreal truly had going into this offseason was depth from up front. And now you look at their forward group and they have Gallagher to Foley, Anderson, Perry, even Armia, Michael Froelich is up as depth pieces up front. Uh, I like their group down the middle. And then the left side's a little light. Um, I think they really need a big year out of uh, Druin again. But with Price and Goal, I think he has more more run in him. They backed him up with Jake Allen. I don't know. I just, I, we talked about this a week or two ago. I think Montreal is kind of the class of the Canadian division, which not many people are kind of factoring in right now. Everybody's going Toronto because of the talent level. But I just think Montreal is more well-rounded. No, I, I'm looking at this roster, and one thing that Corey Perry brings them is grit and nastiness in outside of kind of Josh Anderson and Shea Weber. And the biggest thing with Shea Weber is they need him to be healthy if they want to do anything because yep. once is the big fella kind of wingles, that whole defensive core shifts a little bit. So they need the big fella healthy, hopefully Almost a year off can do that for him. Finally heal that foot up and be back to skating and being that mean, nasty fucking lumberjack that he is back there. Yeah, you need, you want, as just a hockey fan, you want Shea Weber healthy playing every game and in the playoffs making runs because when you're not playing against him, like he's just so fun to watch. It's not even like the fun part. It's like, the way the NHL has shifted nowadays, it's more towards those young, high-powered offense, fast, smaller defensemen. And <laughs> yeah, like, but to see a guy like Shea Weber, A, still being able to do it, but, like, he plays his best when that nastiness comes out. Like, just seeing that, like, that big prick in front of the net whacking <laughs> you with the stick and knowing that nobody on your end is going to do anything about it because you're like... I ain't fucking with him. Like you got or the wrong Montreal one. Montreal goes in a power play, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, like I'm not blocking this shot. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna lay out, and I'm hopefully he shoots it over me, so I don't have to eat it in the shins. But uh, no, I, I agree with you. I do think that Montreal is going to be the class of that Canadian division. I think up and down the lineup, they're solid, and I think with Claude Julien coaching, they're gonna have it tight defensively. And you knocked the nail on the head, too. Jonathan Drouin needs to bounce back to whatever he used to be in Tampa. He needs to give them something of substance. He needs to be able to do it. Yeah, and even if it's just... He just needs to be slightly above league average offensively just to fit into that top six role. Like, if he gives them 15 and 35, I think that's... I mean, that's disappointing for where he was drafted and the hype that came in around him. But for a team like Montreal, if you just get 50 points from a guy like Juan, I think that goes a long, long way. And then one last thing to touch on. My boys, the Ottawa Senators, making moves. Yeah, moves that coincides with the Tampa Bay situation. We're spending all offseason talking about how is Tampa going to get under this, how they're going to fix their cap hell. Uh, is somebody going to trade for Johnson? Is somebody going to poach Sorelli with an offer sheet? And after all that noise, Nikita Kucherov uh, suffers a well, not he suffered a hip injury. I think it was almost a month ago. He finally announced that he's going to have surgery. He's going to miss the entire regular season. So that allows Tampa Bay to place him on long-term IR. His nine and a half million dollar cap hit gone. 
that solves their cap situation there. So right away, they know they can keep Tyler Johnson, and they signed Anthony Cervelli uh, to a little bit of a bridge deal. It's a three-year deal. It gets just under $5 million a year, which I think is more than fair for a guy like Cervelli. And then they cleared even more cap space. They sent Cedric uh, Paquette, Braden Coburn, and a second-round pick in 2022 to Ottawa. Uh, they got back Marion Gabrick and Anders Nielsen from the Senators, but those two guys are already announced that they're out for the year. So it was basically Tampa Bay sent a second-round pick to Ottawa so Ottawa can take on Coburn and Paquette's contract. So even a little bit more space added on Tampa Bay's end. Then Ottawa turns around and trades a second-round pick to Arizona for former Ranger Derek Stefan. And when you look at those two deals as a whole, Ottawa didn't give up anything. Nothing. And they still have draft and, picks. <laughs> yeah, like they traded a second-round pick for Stepan, but they get a second-round pick back from Tampa. So basically they traded – I think they gave up a few slots in draft positioning. And they get back a very versatile – he can play wing or center now. He's a dependable two-way guy. He's been on deep playoff runs. He's – a very strong locker room guy, and Derek Stefan, he can play top nine minutes for you. Then you get Coburn, who I know is way past his prime, but you look at Ottawa's projected top six D this year, and it's not too pretty. So Coburn, again, another guy, veteran leadership, comes in for a very young team. And Paquette, he's not going to put up the numbers that he did in Tampa. He's like another Vlad Nemesnikov, but he's another guy. He's a winner. He's going to come in. He's going to play top six minutes because he's going to play slot in behind Kachuk on the left side. And even if he's a top nine forward, you've got all three of these guys or nothing, basically. And you had the cap space. So I think here Dorian has really changed the perspective around the league of his work as a general manager this last two summers, well, two off seasons. And very young team. They have a lot of good prospects that they're hoping if they hit on 60% of them, 50% of them, they'll be good for seven to 10 years. But in the meantime, like Detroit is, they made the trade for Mark Stahl. You need guys that know what the league is about. They can show these guys around. That can help contribute to some W's here because you don't want to develop a losing culture. So I think a very good, very good couple of days for the Ottawa Senators in the short and long term. I couldn't agree more. I love the way this team's shaping up. I think it's hard for me just because I am so invested in this team <laughs> that they might be one of the four teams from the Canada division. I think there's a chance here. I, I know you brought up a rebound big time. I, I know you brought up the D part and their D is a little iffy, but if you look at just four out of them, you have Thomas Shabbat world-class. You have Nikita Zaitsev, who, who's a good defenseman. I'm, yeah. I'm not world-class. He's a good <laughs> defenseman. You have Eric Branson there for the meet. You brought in Braden Coburn for the same thing. So now you have that. But if you go to the prospect side of it, they still have Lassie Thompson. They still have Eric Brandstrom. If you can bring those guys up and they still have Maxim LaJoey, who's down there too. Th yeah. Those are three possible candidates to come up and possibly be in here, win a job and get NHL experience this year. So already looking forward to next year dictates a whole different level. But then I think, sorry, Oh, you go. No, no, you go. You go. I was going to say that I think one, obviously trades are done in a vacuum and one negotiation doesn't completely become parallel to another negotiation. But I think Ottawa 
if they had the opportunity to do so, missed an, missed an opportunity to make a trade for a young defenseman because you're looking at Shabbat. He, he needs a first-pair defensive partner, and side subs not that. I do like Branstrom. I think he's going to be a solid top four or five guy. They could have made that trade for Dustin Taves from the that, Well, that's true, too. And you have a point there as to them getting rid of Taves. And, but, but the other part of it's too, it's like who, who knows who's included and who's not in those talks. Yeah, but that's what I mean, yeah. When you look, though, like their forward group right now, if you can get the Alex Galchenyuk that could actually perform – like when mm-hmm. he was in Montreal, that changes the output he's giving you. And you look at just guys that they have on entry levels right now. Stutzel, the guy they just drafted, who's playing for Germany. And I mean, the kid's a house. I didn't realize how big he was. He smoked Bowen Byram into the fucking boards. They had right up, right up and over the boards. They have is he a center or is he a winger? That's a big question. If he's a winger, he's still <sighs> a valuable guy, but he's not as valuable as he would be if he was able to stick at center. I think that all depends on how they want to bring them in just because next year they have guys coming off the board as UFA. Like I don't see Galchenyuk resigning there. I don't no. see Paquette resigning there. I don't see Anisimov resigning there or step on. So you can take a center out and step on Anisimov is like that left wing center type deal. You can kind of switch them. Paquette, the same thing. Galchenyuk can kind of play all three. So if you want to switch him to there, you can. But the other part of it is just on entry level, Stutzel, Kachuk, Logan Brown, like that's a future right there. That, that That's three futures right there. And then it, I know, I think they overpaid for him, but Evgeny Dadunov, like the crazy Russian, he can put pucks in the net. Colin mm-hmm. White gives you that Patrice Bergeron through the middle, going to play hard up and down the ice. Give that to you. Artem Isimov should score in this lineup 20 goals this year. Should. Connor Brown, the meat. All right. Chris Tierney, I still think he can play. I think he's there. Yeah, I think he's more of a 3C. I think he's 3, but yeah, I mean, like, this team's deep. They're a very deep team. And and I honestly think they're going to surprise a lot of people. And they brought in Austin Watson for the meat. Like, all we right. We have the meats. We got the meats. Now, biggest question, I guess, for me to you is... Where does this team end up in the sense of does it all end up on Matt Murray or do you think that the D is just too light and that's what's going to be the Achilles heel? Like, I don't think Matt Murray is the guy for what they paid him. Yeah, they think so for Murray, he's not going to have good numbers. It's going to be the eye test because you're playing behind that defensive group who I think is going to be the downfall of any chance of Ottawa taking a run for a playoff spot. I think that's going to be their Achilles heel. But then also you have a young forward group that's not going to help out the defensive situation either. So Murray's going to be in a situation where he might have like a 2-8 goals against average, but like a 9-20 save percentage, 9-15 save percentage if he has a good year. So it's definitely going to be more of an eye test and a numbers test. But you got to figure, even if he has a career year, does that still get them in a conversation with Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, Montreal. See, this is where I look at it. I think Toronto is overrated. I, I I think that they're overrated. I think real deal. You have Montreal, Calgary, Vancouver lost some weight here. Yep. So they might be able to push there. And 
Edmonton is one of those teams who is strictly based on how far McDavid can put them. And how healthy. And how healthy. And the other part is, can Dreisaitl have the same year he had last year? Because if Dreisaitl falls off, so does that whole team. And that goaltending still is terrible. Goaltending is still terrible. The D's a little bit better, but not much. <laughs> yeah, they brought in Tyson Barrett. That's really going to help your defensive structure. So if Ottawa makes the playoffs, right? Like, does this dictate free agents wanting to go there? That's the thing. I don't think Ottawa is a destination location for any free agent. One, because of the it's location. It's the capital. Yeah, so so is Albany, New York. <laughs> Nobody wants to live in Albany. <laughs> Touche. Uh, <laughs> um, it's the location, and two, it's you don't. There's no stability. The owner has is cheap. He's unstable, and also the arena situation is unsettled. Like, if you're a prime free agent, do you want to sign seven year, six, seven years in Ottawa? That's what's preventing a team like the Islanders. I know they finally have their arena situation figure out now. But if you're looking at two, three years ago, that prevented them from being able to make any moves. And I think Ottawa's in the same situation. I think without any gate revenue that Melnick's going to be even cheaper. And he's just banking on all these cheap prospects for the next two seasons before bridge deals come into place. And he's not going to pony up the cash because he wasn't ponying up the cash when they did have gate revenue and they were, did have fans in the arena. So, I think that's going to hold them back. Um, I do think that once uh, Norris and, and Brown arrive down the middle, and if Seitzel can stay down the middle, that Ottawa is set. I think they need to hit on two two out of those three guys need to hit as centers for them to have like a strong uh, future. Because I don't think you can bank on premium free agents choosing to sign on Ottawa in the next like three years. They're going to have to become contenders first. I agree on the contender part, but those prospects develop. And the cheap thing may have been true in the past, but I mean, like, they gave Shabbat 8 and 8. They brought Matt Murray in here, and in my sense, an overpay at 6 and a quarter. Yeah. They're, they brought Derek Stepan on full term. Arizona didn't retain anything 6 and a half. They brought in Dadanoff 5 a year. Like, yeah, I think true. that's changing. You are right in the sense of they're going to be on a lot of entry levels with, with the switch, which for them is good, kind of figuring out long term. But, I mean, Brady Katruk is on the last year of his entry level. That kid's going to get paid mm-hmm. this summer. We'll see. He hasn't even hit 50 points in his career. But he brings them a different element. He, that, like that, he doesn't score as much as his. Bro- oh, absolutely! He doesn't score as much as his brother, but he's a force out there. Yeah, you. I. What I mean by tangible is, if you're going, I know he doesn't have arbitration rights yet. But if you were going in front of an arbiter and you're like, well, he plays the game hard and he's difficult to play against and he really digs in a corner, that's the team is going to be like, how do you put a monetary value on that? We're going on points. Well, if you go on just certain goals, 22 and 21 in points, he's had 45 and 44. So, I mean, just off that in the NHL, that's at least fucking 4 million a year. Yeah, I'm thinking first bridge deal is probably going to be like two years, eight and a half mil. Probably, and then then we'll see where it ends up. Sends up there because I do, yeah, I do think Kachuk's a great player. I just think it's difficult for guys like him to win 
in restricted free agency because of the overall style. If he hit free agency, he'd be one of the top free agents. So I think he just needs to wait a few extra years for a big payday. And we'll see where he ends up. Do we have a (laughs) – speaking of dates in the future, we want to talk about some dates? Oh, yeah. So the the NHL uh, about four or five days ago released some important dates uh, for the 2020 – I don't know why they're calling it the 2020-2021 season because nothing is happening in 2020 for this year. There's no training camps. There's no preseason. Nothing. So for the twenty twenty for the twenty twenty one season, so training camps open for the seven non playoff teams on December thirty first, which is Thursday of this week, and then Sunday, the third is when training camp opens for the remaining twenty four teams. So we are less than a week away from training camps opening. January thirteenth, as everybody knows, the regular season kicks off. The trade trade deadline is April twelfth. The last day of the regular season is May eighth. The playoffs begin May eleventh. And the last possible day of the Stanley Cup final is July 9th. So they are trying to fit that in before the Olympics start for NBC. And then I think the most exciting part for the summer is the deadline for teams to submit their protection list for the upcoming expansion draft is July 17th. And then Seattle, the Seattle Kraken get Kraken with the expansion draft on July 21st. And two days later is the first round of the NHL draft. Free agency begins July 28th. So relatively standard offseason in terms of free agency is only starting a couple weeks in it past than when it normally would. Yeah, I was actually surprised. Well, I I don't want to say surprised, but just how quick of a turnaround the NHL anticipates on having. Yeah. So, I mean, usually July 1st. So if you get it back to the end of the month, it's like, oh, they're, they're, they're not too far off. So. They are definitely shooting to be back on the normal schedule for next year in October. There's no question about that. Yeah, and at least it's not as bad as the NBA. Like, they had the NBA final, and then, like, three weeks later, training camp opened. Yeah, I was going to say, it almost didn't seem like the NBA stopped. It was just a weird breakdown this year. But, but I also notice, don't watch basketball, so. You know what I mean? Like, the, the previous season ended, NBA championship was crowned, and then one day I looked up and, like, preseason basketball, I'm like, did anybody go, oh, good, preseason basketball is back? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> like, I feel like nobody noticed. <laughs> one other random thing, too, like, I like hockey because it's a hard cap. I, I feel like the NFL every year can restructure and renegotiate your contract. Like, as a Patriots guy, they would do it every year with Danny Amendola. Like, he started at, you know, whatever it was, getting paid million, and then he was dropping down into the hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. His deal was getting restructured, renegotiated, so whatever they originally planned yep. on didn't count. The NBA has these max contracts and this, that, the other thing, and you're only as good as the best player in the league. It's been proven. But one other thing that is, like, so random and strange to me is – Gordon Hayward, and I only say this because I'm a Boston guy, and I and I hear them talking about it because oh, that broken ankle, man. Uh, oh, I, uh, that no, I couldn't even watch that. That that grossed me out. I got to be honest. Um, so he signed in Charlotte, right? It was Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. He signed with the Hornets on purpose, huh? On purpose or intentionally, <laughs> and then it was like five days later. Now it was a sign and trade, and the sell like. How the fuck does it like the guy already signed there? How is it now a sign and trade five days later? Like, I feel like there's so many loopholes in the NBA salary cap is like, it's a joke. Yeah. You can't, 
you hear like the Knicks, like, oh, well, they have the mid-level exception, but if they trade these two expiring deals for this guy, then they can use the Larry Bird rights. And I'm like, why is it so complicated? Yeah, like, <laughs> like that's what I don't get. Like, I feel like the NHL compared to the other leagues has it right. And obviously, I know these guys don't get paid as much as those other guys, and nor will they ever. But yeah. like, for just simplicity and being able to understand it, the NHL has it right for the fan. Because if any guy came up to me like, and he ever said, oh, you know, uh, Calgary should sign and trade Lucic, you'd be like, bro, you're listening to the wrong sport. Like, <laughs> and then it ain't I, working. If you have a trade, it can only be 125% of the salary that's being retained. It's like, it's crazy. And you look at, like you said, obviously you would wish these guys can get paid more. But if you're looking strictly at from a fan perspective, anybody can just go to cap friendly and just be like, how much is this guy getting paid? Does he have a new movement clause? Is he over 35? Does that mean his cap hit stays on if he retires early? And you know the answer. The NBA, I literally was spent, I think this was back in April when everything first shut down and you're just like staring at the ceiling. I went on and I was trying to learn about all the different mechanisms in this CBA for the salary cap. And I was like, I walked out of room. I can't, I can't deal with this. Like, I, I did contract law and this is fucking crazy. Yeah. So that's why I, whenever I hear about the Knicks making a move, I'm like, just tell me who they got. I don't care about. Yeah, I don't care me. about the other stuff. Just who just ended up going where. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one quick thing for today in NHL history before we can get to shout outs. Uh, back, all the way back in 1930, the year that uh, Casey was born, the Detroit Falcons, who were ne- renamed the Red Wings in 1932, defeat the visiting Toronto Maple Leafs 10 to 1. The 10 goals and the most scored by any team on Christmas Day. Uh, the two, the team high is 12 in the Boston Bruins' 8-4 victory against the Penguins at Boston Garden in 1970. I know that's for Christmas Day. I wanted to go back because I thought it was interesting. 10-1 uh, on Christmas Day, we just celebrated Christmas, and it involved the Bruins. So everybody out there up in New England, a little belated gift for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> What do you got for shout-outs? Oh, so shout-outs this week. I have the reddest of the red. Uh, <laughs> she took me away from my birthday a couple of days after Christmas, just the way everything worked out. But um, took me away, went away for a night, kid-free. So thank you to uh, Sierra, my sister, for taking the kids for a night. Uh, went down the Cape. It, it was just nice. It's nice being there in the off-season because it's not mobbed. It's not crazy. We stayed right on the beach for, I mean, dirt cheap dirt cheap um and then the other part of it was um we came back this morning and i had my first mary lou's coffee they had this thing called the funny bone flavor so okay. I'm, at, I'm at the drive-thru i'm like what, what's funny bone and she's like ah it's kind of like a like a peanut butter you know mix she's like it's good i'm like yeah give me one of those <laughs> dude it was the best coffee i ever had in my life like right. now i have to search for mary lou's anytime i'm you know south of the city to go find this funny bone so thank you mary lou's for making my life even more hectic than it already is so i appreciate it so much i will say i read or posted a photo of you with uh, guinness at dinner mm-hmm. i think it was and i was like that poor i even commented i replied to her i was like that poor was incredible oh dude they they did incredible we went to o'shea's uh tab uh o'shea's tavern in dennis and all the food completely fresh uh we both got seafood 
Um, yeah, the Guinness was poured perfect, and <laughs> I had the great foam mustache going. Like it was, it was well worth it. It, it was well worth it. So thank you to uh, my darling for taking me away. Shout outs this week. We were talking at length about this little person's bathroom habits before we started recording, but uh, yours truly is now a dog dad brought home uh, corgi puppy this saturday so i brought her home on christmas eve and saturday she turned officially eight weeks old um kobe uh shout out you know to the one and only the greatest of all time but brought her home she's been great she's been a pain in the ass she's been listening she's been not following instructions so basically any typical woman it sounds uh, like fatherhood. <laughs> um, I was dead tired the first few days. She's waking up every two hours overnight for bathroom and potty breaks, but she's been good. She's only been once, maybe twice a night uh, at this point, which is great for an eight-week-old puppy, so appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, finally brought the dog home. Been talking about it for a while with you, and she is now currently sleeping behind me and over my shoulder, being very good right now. You gotta love when the children are sleeping. That it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, I was. I told my mom because she had five of her own, and then my dad had four of his own. And I was just like, "How did you raise all those kids?" It's like, I'm, and I'm like, "I'm never having a kid." Like Jesus Christ, man! Like you just you lose. It's only been. It's not even been a week, and it's just I sit back at night before I go to sleep, and I'm just laying in bed. I'm like, I did nothing today outside of eat and keep my eye on her like literally nothing <laughs> it's draining i was like, no wonder why my mom smoked <laughs> oh dude like we were away from the kids like my sister is more than qualified to watch the children like there's no worries there we're good to go and the nervousness factor of like you still feel like they're around yeah but, like it's just I wonder what you're up to. <laughs> yeah, like you just you're still on edge no matter what. So you're like, oh, they gotta be, they gotta be close. <laughs> like it's just one of those things that'll still. Kinda, I wonder if you're sleeping. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you like look at dinner time to look over to the right to see if it's like Emma's doing something. You're like, oh, that's right, she's not here. So, just uh, makes you wonder. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so and then, exciting times here. Because starting in next week's episode is our divisional previews and rundowns. Uh, we'll go over, of course, any new free agency or trade happenings. And then the following week is our part final and part two of our divisional previews. And then we'll make our season predictions as well as besides standings and things like that. We'll go over first coach to be fired. Uh, rookie of the year, our award choices, things like that. So it was a long, winding road, my friend, but we were at training camp opening for the 2021 season. It, it, and it's crazy because it is definitely a quick turnaround. And with that, we will be wailing, dealing, doing all of the above. And then from there, it's going to be predictions and then the puck drop. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Um, one other thing I do want to say, too, is as to YouTube TV and Nesson, you fucked me and you fucked me hard because Uh-oh. for whatever reason, Nesson and YouTube TV, 
they broke up. Don't work anymore. So now I had to go in. I had to take Redder off the uh, Strictly the Internet bill because I was paying the YouTube TV. She was doing that. I mean, don't don't ask me how my marital finances go, all right? I'm just saying that's how it broke down. <laughs> but um, I had to go in. I had to kick her off the Internet. I had to start a whole brand new thing because I had to put Verizon in my name now because I needed Nesson and Nesson Plus back for the Bruins. And YouTube TV and them couldn't work it out. So there you go. Off to the curb. See you later. Bye now. All done with you. Oh, boy. So. That's the thing, man. YouTube TV, nobody carries the Yes Network, and very few carry MSG Network. So for me, it's not even worth it to get these things. Just can't watch the Rangers or the Yankees. I just, I don't get it. Like, it's just one of those things of people get this for sports. And if you're not able to offer it, people are going to leave. And that's why I left. Like, I don't know. S- simple math, I guess. But what the fuck do I know? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Sports is the last thing that's kind of catching on to the streaming thing. Like, all these cable companies are coming out with their own streaming platforms, and I think the leagues need to come out with their own. Like, no more partnerships, no more local TV deals. I mean, if teams can have their own streaming channels that they want, but I think the leagues themselves really need to hop on there. And I think the NHL has a unique opportunity because their TV deals are all coming up. So maybe instead of doing the legacy, oh, we'll sign a 10-year deal with NBC and ESPN, they'll do a... NBC does the playoffs, and they'll get a game of the week. ESPN gets a game of the week, and the rest is streaming. And then you can just watch it from wherever you want, and you pay a monthly price for it. Yeah, and I mean, that's a huge thing. And the other thing, too, is if they do end up going back to ESPN, like if they just get on ESPN+, Plus, they have a majority of the nation that has it for everything else, just streaming-wise. That's a whole other outlook for them, for people that don't want to pay for cable or anything else. So... Yes, very intriguing as to where the NHL will finally go with this. We'll see, man. D- uh, that we shall. But everybody, as always, thank you so much for uh, being here with us, as always. We appreciate that. And, yeah, the next two weeks are going to be two divisions of an episode. We will go from there and then uh, see where the league takes us. So everything will be dictated by that. Thank you as always, and we'll see you next week for a big one. All right, bye-bye. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Little darling.